My name is Dirk, and I'm the preaching pastor here at Encounter. Today we're starting off a brand new series uh, at uh, Encounter called Dangerous prayers. And I'll kind of give you an idea behind kind of the impetus of this series and why I think this one needs to happen here at Encounter Church today, this month, over the summertime, is because way too often our prayer life kind of boils down to the same sort of routine, mundane kind of things. Way too often our prayer life sort of gets safe. Now, now, if you've been following Jesus for a long time, or if you're just starting off following after him, you might have an idea already that praying, communicating with God, is a really, really important thing that all Christians, all Jesus followers should be doing. And one of the reasons I think why we don't is we tell ourselves, well, I don't think we maybe have enough time. If I had more time, of course I'd be better at prayer. But I don't think it has anything to do with time at all. I read earlier this week that the average American checks their phone once every 12 minutes, which turns out to be 80 times a day. So that means that if you prayed, if we prayed uh, half as many times as we checked our phones, that's 40 prayers a day. I don't think it has anything to do with time. I think it has everything to do with, quite honestly, most of us, we kind of find it boring. I don't love praying. I don't love making the time. I had a mentor one time that told me, Dirk, you have time for what you make time for, which is really annoying when I'm sitting down with him and I'm like, well, I just don't have time. And he's like, you have time for what you make time for again and again and again. The, the point is we don't pray simply because, simply because we find it a bit unengaging, which is a little nuts, I think because if we think about who God is, I mean, he's the, he's the one, he's the creator. He's the one who, who made uh, the, the supernovas out there in space. He's the one who creates these, these hurricane forces. He's the one who also made the duck-billed platypus. So you know he's got a sense of humor. But yet when we think about engaging that God, when we think about entering into his presence, the presence of the Almighty, sometimes we're just kind of like, meh. Uh, take it or leave it. And I don't think so. So I, I want to have the humility this morning to say that if any of us find prayer to be a bit stodgy or a bit boring, maybe it's not on God's side of things. Maybe we're doing it wrong. And so I think over the course of this series, we're going we're gonna to hopefully figure out together how, uh, how to add a little more excitement into the prayer life, how to pray a little less safely, and how to live a little more dangerously in our prayers. Uh, one, of the, one of the ways that most of us pray, uh, the, by the way, series is three parts, dangerous prayers. There's going to be three dangerous prayers. We're going to invite you to pray this week and in fact this month. Uh, it's send me, break me, and today is going to be search me. Um, by the way, uh, I think that one of the reasons why prayer becomes a bit boring in the first place is because of the safety nature of it all. We pray for things like uh, the safety of ourselves, uh, safety when we go out, safety when we come back. We pray for the safety of our, uh, of our families. We pray for the safety of our, of our kids. Uh, we pray for the safety of maybe people who aren't here with us, right, represented right now. We pray for things like traveling mercies and hedges of protection. And if you don't know what any of those are, that's okay. Nobody really does. It's just stuff Christians say. But we take prayer and we make it like so controlled. We make it so sterile. We make it so, so safe. And I think we really miss out on the life-changing opportunity that God has for us. So after you leave worship today, the ushers are going to be back and they're going to be handing out cards, prayer cards, with those three dangerous prayers that we're going to get to on them. Send me, break me, and this morning, search me. Because there's ch chances are there's something in you and in me that I don't see in me. 
So there's something in you that you don't see in you, but that other people can obviously see in you. Point in case, after every single meal at home, my wife tells me that I have hot sauce on my face. I never see it, and I've just learned now to always have hot sauce on my face. i got to wipe it off somehow. I don't know how it gets on there every time. But it's bigger than that, too, because I also remember when I was just starting off speaking, um, I would go around to different churches and, uh, and give, honestly, the same sermon, because there's different churches. I could give the same thing like 30 or 40 different times. In the beginning, my wife would come along with me, and she could still... She could still recite like whole chunks of this bad sermon on Jonah, like to this day out of memory. But I would go around to these different churches and like preach the same bad sermon. And then one time I asked, I did the dangerous thing of like, honey, what'd you think? <laughs> and, uh, and she thought, well, you know, this is, this is a good marriage opportunity. Um, so she told me, she goes, hey, listen, you know, everything's great, love it, awesome, wife support kind of stuff. But she goes, you have a couple of like these nervous tics. I'm like, oh, no, I don't think, maybe. Well, let's hear her out. She goes, after every other sentence, you say the word okay. And it's, really, it's kind of annoying, okay? And, I, and, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> and, she, and she goes, the other thing is you pace a lot. Like I know that you don't want to, you don't want to like stay put and you want to be more engaging than that. But, but how it comes across is you're just kind of like pacing back and forth on stage and it kind of makes everybody nervous. I'm like, okay. And she goes, yeah, yeah, exactly. You put those things together and you're sort of like, okay, okay, okay. And she's like, I'm in the front row and it weirds me out and we're married. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, and so I did, you know, the good, like, you know, thing to do in that moment as, as a pastor, potentially in the future, and also as a husband. And I told her, honey, you're way off. I don't do any of those things. And then when nobody was around, I watched a video of myself, and sure enough, she was right the whole time. It's funny how she can see things in me. Other people can see things in me. I don't even see in myself. Now, we have a value around here about doing life together. And one of the things that we usually do around this time is to say, hey, other people, people in your small group, people that you meet at Horrocks later on or at the pool party, they're going to be able to see things in you that you don't even see in you. But this isn't that message because we want to go even deeper and even better because God sees things in you. God sees infinitely more things in you that you don't even see in you. And wouldn't it be amazing this morning if we could ask God, God, what do you see in your infinite wisdom as the one who knows me better than anybody ever will know me? What do you see in me? And how might my life change, maybe even eternity change, if only you would tell me what you see in me. And so we're going we're gonna to pray the dangerous prayer of asking him to show us, to search us, to reveal that to us. And it could change our lives. We're going to do that by taking a look at a prayer of somebody in the Bible in the book of Psalms. This prayer was uttered by King David. It's one of the top two best kings that Israel ever had. The first one being Jesus. The second one being David. He was a great king. He was a great leader. Terrible, terrible personal life. And we're going to get to that in a little bit as well. If you want to follow along in the Bible, you can just open it up and it'll, chances are it'll fall right to Psalms, which is super convenient. There's Bibles, by the way, under the chairs in front of you. We give those away every week. Take it home if you like it. We love that. But the words are also going to be on the screen behind me. We're going to Psalm 139. 
Um, and we're going to read the last two verses of Psalm 139. Uh, I highly recommend the whole psalm. So go ahead and check it out on your own time later on this week. But we're really going to focus in on, on a few points of Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Let me just read the whole thing for you now. It says this. David writes, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious, anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And that's how he ends his psalm. Now, what's funny about that is that he's asking God, he's inviting God to, to come in and to search. Search my heart. See whatever's, see what's in there. And it's kind of a funny thing for him to, to pray to God because he, he knows and we know that he knows he's got a really high view of God. He doesn't, he doesn't think that God is somehow like waiting for his invitation to come on in and, and to search him. He, he doesn't think that God is somehow limited to whatever David might reveal to God about him. He knows God is omniscient. He knows God knows everything. And in fact, earlier on in the psalm, in Psalm uh, 139, verse 1, he starts off with a remarkably similar line to this, only worded a little differently. He says, God, you searched me, and you know my heart. And he acknowledges right off the bat, God, you know everything that's in me. You know everything there is to know already. And, and then he gets kind of like almost scary close, uh, God does to David, and how he describes God. Uh, not only, God, have you searched me, and not only do you already know me, you also, David continues in Psalm 139, um, you know when I sit and when I rise. You know my coming and you know my going. And then he goes on, and he goes, where could I even go to escape your presence, God? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I go down to the depths, you are there. And he gets like really, really scary close. He goes, God, you even knit me together before I was ever born, which is a which is a pretty unbelievable like, image to think about God, like, like knitting these things, to, knitting you together. I, I just think of God, this is totally unbiblical, but let's keep it in-house. I just think of God like in a rocking chair, knitting. I don't know why he has to be in a rocking chair, but he does. Except he's not using needles and yarn. He's like using strands of DNA, right? And he's like putting us together. He's putting me together and you together. And, and he's like, Figure, this is the God who, by the way, remember, created the duck-billed platypus. He has a sense of humor. And he's like knitting these strands of DNA together going, you know what? I'm going to make him really, really tall, but really, really uncoordinated. He's going to get cut from the middle school basketball team. <laughs> but I'm going to put this thing over here that when he finds out what his true passion is, when she finds out what her true passion is, man, like stay out of her way. She's going to do such amazing things. I mean, that's, that's the level of intimacy that God knows you and me and David. So the question is, why, why would you start off and say, search me, verse 23, God, and know my heart? Why would you begin with that? That doesn't make any sense to me because you already know. Well, continuing down the themes that are, um, that are somewhat unbiblical, <laughs> I read the book The Shack uh, a, number of, a number of years ago, and, uh, and there was one scene in the book that I, I love. It just stuck with me this whole time. Uh, the main character is having a meal with the Godhead, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's, he's sitting down, and the meal is served. The food comes out, and he bows his head out of habit to pray and then realizes who he's in the presence of. And so he looks up, and he goes, um, I guess, thank you. <laughs> and they kind of get on with it. And then he asks that question that, that I want to ask of David, of God in the moment. 
why would you, why would you ask if God already knows? And Mac, in the book, he asked God, why do you want us to pray when you obviously know already? And God turns to him and says, I just take great delight in hearing things through your ears and seeing things through your eyes. In a sense, yeah, God does know the facts and he knows the history, but there's like this relationship component that develops out of that. That, 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 that God wants to not only know you because he made you, but he also wants you to know him back. So it says this two-way street to this prayer thing, to this prayer deal. Search me, God, and, and know my heart. Let's be in relation with each other because, God, when you see something in me, I want you to show me what's there. Show me what's there and doesn't belong. Show me what should be there that maybe, quite honestly, doesn't belong. Call those things out in me. And he says, search my heart. This heart, you know, as we think of it, isn't in the Bible, the way the Bible uses it, isn't just something that, you know, keeps the blood moving throughout your body, but, but the heart was the center of, of what emotions came out of, or what actions came out of. Key piece of information, where motivations came out of, which is really important when we get to the next line. Test me. David continues, test me and know my, help me out, anxious thoughts. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Test me and know those places that stress me out. Test me and know where, where my blood pressure tends to rise. Test me and, and, and let me know, God, what those places are in my life that just create this, this unprecedented amount of anxiety. Know, God, where those, where those areas are in my life that when I'm lying down at night trying to fall asleep and my mind wanders into them, my palms get a little sweaty and I can't fall asleep at night. Know those areas that keep me up all night. You have to know those things, those anxious thoughts. There's this line, I'm just going to quote it to you because I love it so much from, uh, from an author and pastor uh, named Craig Groeschel. And he, uh, he, he shared, he goes, uh, on these this anxious, stress-filled kind of areas in our lives, he goes, is it possible, right, that the areas where we fear the most tend to be where we trust God the least? I just love that so much, so I'm going to say it one more time. The areas where we fear the most, we carry the most anxiety, we carry the most stress, could be the very areas where we trust God the least. For David, how this played out is that a lot of people, when they're putting uh, the Bible together in a chronological kind of way, and, and it's impossible really to prove this, but the Bible scholar's best guess would be that this uh, psalm came at a place in David's life towards the end of his life. He's looking at it more in the rear view than out of the windshield. And he's came to this place in life where he's seen rebellion after rebellion after rebellion. In fact, it was soon after his son Absalom's rebellion to try to steal the kingdom away from him. I don't know why you'd want to be king. You just have this giant target on your back. But nevertheless, his son tries to rip the kingdom away from him. His son Absalom ends up dying. He is still in grief and mourning over the loss of his son Absalom when another guy named Sheba starts this rebellion and thinks, now's my chance. He's distracted with his son's funeral. And it's just again and again relentless as it hits David. He comes now soon after that to, to the twilight highlight years of his reign and even his life. And he finds himself 
counting up all of his soldiers, his mighty men, they're called. And he's just, he's simply taking a census. Now, there's nothing wrong with counting. We count stuff around here all the time. We count coffee, we count bagels, we count cookies, we count people, we count chairs, we count kids. We double count kids to make sure everybody, you know, gets matched. Those numbers should match up. Okay, we count. Nothing wrong with counting. But remember about the heart, it's also a motivation factor. So he comes to this place in 2 Samuel 24 after he gets done. Listen to this, verse 20, verse, uh, 2 Samuel 24, verse 10. David now was conscience-stricken after he counted the fighting men. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. It wasn't the counting where he went wrong, but it was the motivation behind the counting. It was where that came from. In this case, coming to the twilight years of his life, knowing that he is dependent on God for everything for so long, he gets to this point and he's saying, I'm tired of relying on God. I just want to count up the number of guys I have in my side so that I know how long I can go without God. How long I can depend on no one else except me and what's mine. And it just hits him all of a sudden that he has just written God out of the equation. It just, it just hits him, this area in his life where the fear crept in, where the stress kept in, where the anxiety crept in, and he started wondering about who might attack him and if he had enough on his side outside of God's help in order to repel that party or repel that army. And he finds himself saying, I have sinned greatly against the Lord. What do we say? When, where you fear the most may be where you trust God the least. And so church, I, I, I want to follow that up and I just, I want to ask. I said, where's that area of life where you find the fear creeping in, the stress creeping in, the anxiety creeping in, the sleepless nights creeping in? And could it be, church, that that's the very, added, that that's the very area in life that God is saying, I want you to trust me with this. I want you to hand that over to me. I mentioned that thing earlier about counting, counting everything. And I just want to be honest and just be super real that it's, it's easy to come back and say, counting is a good thing. But there's a part of it that just the anxiety creeps in, especially when we have a difficult weekend or people aren't signing up for things and serving and the numbers start to dip and flow and go all these wonky ways and I have no idea why. And all of a sudden I get that fear, I get that sweaty palms and I stay up at night and I fear and I wonder. And I'm like convicted again. Because it wasn't counting out of just good planning. It was counted out of fear. It was counting out of insecurity. It was counting out of this maybe need to be, to be liked. And I find myself, right, personally in David's shoes and saying, like, I get it. The area where you fear the most could be that singular area where God is trying to call you out, call me out and saying, I need you to trust me in this. What might he be calling you out? What area of stress might be he call you out to trust him? You know, it's funny, on a, on a financial side of things, a lot of people that I find who get stressed out about money and finances the most tend to be the same people that other people would look at and say, man, she's blessed. Man, he's got it together. But, but knowing them and knowing those struggles and those fears, and they're like, man, you don't know how much sleep they've lost over that. 
And I think God is calling out and saying, maybe, maybe I'm asking you not to rely so much on yourself. Maybe I'm asking you to turn that over to me. I talk to people who talk about how, who share how difficult it is to come to church by themselves, either because they don't have that one other person in their life or they haven't found their people to come to church with and to meet at church and how difficult, how remarkably difficult that is. And, and the fear behind that, and church is just an, an expression of that. There's a thousand different things they go to throughout the week, throughout the month, all by themselves. But, but the fear beneath that is, it's not just that I don't have that person, it's that I might not find that person. And, and the fear and the insecurity, and it all starts, starts to creep in and you can just kind of hear the voice of God and say, the anxiety, the place you fear the most may be the place that God is asking you now in this season to trust the most. David is conscious stricken because of this trust thing. Now in this psalm, in this prayer, he's also conscious stricken, not because of a trust thing, not only, but also because of an obedience Thing. Listen to the next line as he wraps up his prayer. He goes, see if there is any, verse 24, see if there's any offensive way in me. It's like David. You really want to pray that, man? See if there's any offensive way in me? I'm like, David, we have access to the rest of the story. That was already <laughs> written. We get it, David. There's a lot of offensive ways in you. In fact, if we look at David now as a leader, we would call him brutal, we would call him awful. We'd call him a dictator. In fact, we'd call him much, much worse because it was also a story in the Bible where he looked out, peeped out of his window, and he sees a woman bathing, getting in and out of the tub, and he goes, hey, bring her to me. Oh, she's married. Oh, that's okay. He's in the army. You know, I think it's time to put him on the front and to uh, attack the city over there. Uriah didn't make it, huh? Oh, that's too bad. Nine months later, we're married with a baby. <sighs> David, see if there's any offensive way in you. You're not only a murderer, you're not only an adulterer, but you're also brutal. You, you have so many like character flaws in you. When you pray that prayer, see if there's an offensive way in me, the list goes on and on and on. And I would argue that anytime any of us would have that courage to pray that dangerous prayer, to search me and to see if there's any offensive ways in me, see if there's any place maybe that I've been disobedient, I think the list is going to be long. I think the more time we devote to that, the more things will come up. The more we might realize going through the Ten Commandments, let's say, the first one is you shall have no other gods before me. <laughs> I can think of decades of my life where God wasn't the first thing in my life. I didn't even make it past commandment number one for any of my life at all so far. I've just like lived in that place of not measuring up to God. And that's just the beginning. Here's the thing, though. The Bible, God in the Bible, repeatedly calls David out and saying he's a murderer, he's an adulterer, he's, he's brutal. But he's also a man after my own heart. And I'm like, God, you, you got the wrong guy. For Samuel 13, he's a man after my own heart. And then as if like, maybe that's an Old Testament typo. God double downs on it in Acts chapter 13 and says, hey, remember David, a man after my own heart. He was so not because, this is so important, you guys. He, he was a man after God's own heart, not because he lived out perfection so well. Far 
from it. But it's what happened after that search me prayer was prayed, is that God revealed himself to him in all of his brokenness, and it just wrecked David. It pushed him back to God every single time. In fact, the very last line of our verse together says, and lead me in the way everlasting. David is saying, I get it. I get that I have trust issues. I get that I have obedience issues. But the thing that separates this guy apart is his willingness to be led by God and to be driven back to God every single time. It's, it's so critically important that when we pray any kind of these dangerous prayers and God is going to reveal something to you about the way that you fall short, about the way that you don't measure up, about the way that you step off the path, and I do too, and God is going to show us these things. And we have to know that he is not doing it to shame us or simply to guilt us or simply to make us afraid. He is doing it to drive us back to Christ every single time. That Jesus, in fact, says in the Sermon on the Mount, it's a popular one in the New Testament, where Jesus stands up and he goes, I tell you the truth, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the, the really, really goody good guys, unless you're better than even those, you have no place with God. And he's not doing that to make everybody listening just feel bad about themselves. He's doing it to show them and to show us and to show everybody for all of time and the rest of eternity to lean back and to come back and to be led in the way of grace, in Jesus Christ, again and again, always coming back, always coming home for the rest of our lives and the rest of our eternities, be led by him. Okay. All right, church. Now, this is the part where it gets real. Because you have this dangerous prayer. Search me. Know my heart. Know my trust issues. Know my obedience issues, God, and then lead me. What's he going to show you? I think that many of us are going to leave today. We're going to get that card, and we're going to be afraid to pray the prayer. And that is okay, because it's dangerous. And the thing that makes that dangerous, or the thing that makes us not want to pray it, is because we're afraid of what God might show us in that prayer, in that moment. God might show us that this whole time that we've been minimizing and denying and blaming the problems on him or her or them, God might show us that it wasn't him or her or them, it's you. It's me. We're the problem. We're the issue. It resides in us. And I don't want to pray that prayer because I don't want to be called out on whatever God is going to, going to call me out on this trust thing to turn it over to him. That's the last thing I want to do. Or this obedience thing to turn it over to him. It's the last thing that I want to do. And so I'll just like raise up these objections, right? And say, God, no, no, I don't have a shopping problem. It's just my closet is, is you know, overpacked with clothes on hangers. I just, I need more hangers and I need more boxes in the basement, right? I don't have an Amazon problem. I just like flipping through while well, the Bluetooth didn't work on the first eight things. So like, we'll just keep on ordering more, right? I got, I, I don't have a, a, a problem maybe wasting time. I just, hang on, let me check my phone. <laughs> God, I don't have an issue following your son, Christ. I don't have a problem being a Christian. I just don't have time to make time for the devotions and I'm not really that kind of guy anyway. I don't, I don't connect with God that way. I don't connect with, with you by prayer. 
And maybe this is all true. And God says, sure. God, I don't have an issue with being a bad friend or a bad spouse or a bad parent or a bad kid. I'm just forgetful. Eight birthdays in a row, I'm just forgetful. God, I don't, I don't think I have an issue with my boyfriend or my girlfriend or what we do. I mean, after all, we're going to get married soon anyway, so what's, what's the big deal? Maybe. Maybe God doesn't have anything for you when he searches you and he knows your innermost being. But I just think we ought to give him the space. I think he deserves just that much this morning. I think that maybe he has been speaking to us for so long now and we've just been busy and we've just been distracted and we've just invited all too much noise in our lives to be able to hear him well. So in a way to hear him, I'd just like to end this time together by doing something a little bit unusual, by giving space to God to speak. <laughs> We're going to give him three minutes after I'm done praying. Just sit, close your eyes if you need to, follow the prompts, the prayer prompts on the screen if you'd like to, but just invite God to search you and to know your heart, to know and see those anxious thoughts, to call into his obedience more and more this week. We're going to end by three minutes, which is 180 seconds for those of you mathematicians. <laughs> it's 180 seconds because I think somebody here needs to turn around and go back the other way. And if that's you, during this last song, we've got a prayer team by the banner in the back. Just let them know. You need to turn around. You need God to show up. You've been searched. And he knows. As you go, you're going to receive cards and I invite you to pray that prayer. Search me. Uncover my fears. Reveal my sins. And lead me back home. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, we thank you for a difficult word. We thank you for searching us. We thank you for knowing us for knowing us far better than we even know ourselves. God, in, uh, in these moments, we're reminded that you knit our very DNA together in our past, our presence, and our future. God, you already are there. We all have areas of our hearts that are not yet turned over to you, I ask. And we invite you to grab a hold of those to remove whatever walls we may be putting up as barriers to you. And we ask, Spirit, for you to courageously lead us by grabbing hold of us back home. God, I pray for that person or two maybe in the room who's being convicted of a 180 turnaround right now. And God, we pray in these next few moments you give them the courage to follow through on what prompting you have to go receive prayer, to fill out a card. God, you're telling such an amazing story. Give us the courage to fall in line with you. 
Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.